You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. Double-tapping ransomware hits the same victim twice. XML servers are found exposed to attack. Iran's oil rig deploys menorah malware against Saudi targets. North Korea's Lazarus Group targets a Spanish aerospace firm. Update your ransomware scorecards. Lost Trust is a rebrand of Meta Encryptor. Increased domestic surveillance in Russia, done partly so propaganda can be more effectively targeted. Killnet claims to have hit the British royal family with a DDoS attack. Michael Denning, CEO at Secure G for Blue Ventures, shares developments in Zero Trust as part of our Industry Voices segment. Rob Boyce from Accenture Security talks about dark web threat actors targeting macOS. And Cybersecurity Awareness Month begins this week. I'm Trey Hester, filling in for Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Monday, October 3rd, 2023. The U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation has issued a private industry notification outlining emerging trends in ransomware attacks, including, quote, multiple ransomware attacks on the same victim in close date proximity and new data destruction tactics in ransomware attacks, end quote. The Bureau notes that this use of dual ransomware variants resulted in a combination of data encryption, exfiltration, and financial losses from ransomware payments. Second ransomware attacks against an already compromised system could significantly harm victim entities. Ransomware variants involved in these attacks include Avos Locker, Diamond, Hive, Karakurt, Lockbit, Quantum, and Royal. Bleeping Computer reports that millions of XML servers are exposed to a zero-day flaw that can allow an unauthenticated attacker to perform remote code execution. According to Trend Micro's zero-day initiative, quote, the specific flaw exists within the SMPT service, which listens to TCP port 25 by default. The issue results from a lack of proper validation of user-supplied data, which can result in a write past the end of a buffer. An attacker can leverage this vulnerability to execute code in the context of a service account. End quote. ZDI also notes that given the nature of the vulnerability, the only salient mitigation strategy is to restrict the interaction with the application. Bleepy Computer says that more than 3.5 million XM servers are currently exposed to the internet. Trend Micro says the Iran-aligned threat actor APT34, also known as Oil Rig or Helix Kitten, is using a new strain of malware called Menorah to conduct cyber espionage. The researchers observed the malware delivered via a spear phishing attack that targeted a Saudi Arabian entity. Menorah appears to be a new variant of the side twist backdoor. Trend Micro states that the .NET written malware delivered through the malicious document 
is primarily deployed for cyber espionage and possesses multifaceted capabilities. The malware can fingerprint the targeted machine, list directories and files, upload selected files from the compromised system, execute shell commands, and download files to the system. Compared to the previous variant of SideTwist, the new variant has more functions to hash the traffic to the command and control server and make it stealthier to avoid detection. ESET warns that North Korea's Lazarus Group targeted employees of a Spanish aerospace company by posing as job recruiters and sending Trojanized coding challenges. The fake recruiter contacted the victim via LinkedIn messaging and sent two coding challenges required as part of the hiring process, which the victim then downloaded and executed on a company device. The challenges were used to deliver a new remote access Trojan called Lightless Can, which ESET says represents a significant advancement compared to its predecessor, Blinding Can. Lost Trust ransomware became active this past March, but achieved widespread notoriety only last month, when it established a data dump site. It now appears, bleeping computer reports, to represent a rebranding of the meta-encryptor ransomware, which itself only appeared in August of 2022. The Russian parliament is considering expanding the FSB's domestic surveillance to conduct a more extensive monitoring of Russian internet, banking, and telecommunications company users, the ISW reported. The surveillance would extend beyond simple intrusion and monitoring, and would amount to full control of databases, with the FSB authorized to remotely access, edit, and delete information in Russian private businesses' databases. The Russian tech sector, including Yandex, opposes the measure on the grounds that FSB activities would render data less secure. The Institute for the Study of War reports that Russian First Deputy Presidential Chief of Staff Sergei Kirienka had engaged the not-for-profit organization Dialogue to categorize Russian internet users to tailor its messaging to their beliefs, interests, and dispositions. The categories, developed from both user data and information from government agencies, classify the users by profession, interests, and political beliefs, and specifically orients false news about the war in Ukraine and pro-war narratives toward Russian military personnel, relatives of military personnel, and civil servants. The dialogue also sorts users as loyal or disloyal. The classification and subsequent targeting seems to derive from Dialog's inability to develop unified and clear narratives that would appeal to the Russian public as a whole. Targeted messaging could also serve to promote self-censorship. The British royal family's official website went down Sunday due to a DDoS attack, Sky News reports. No data was lost, and services on the site were restored within hours. The Russian hacktivist auxiliary, Killnet, claimed responsibility in its Telegram channel, but those claims could not be verified. And finally, October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and this year, the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has announced a theme they're calling Secure Our World. As CISA explains, quote, not only will Secure Our World remain a consistent theme for every Cybersecurity Awareness Month in the future, but it will also launch as CISA's new Cybersecurity Awareness Program. The idea behind the campaign is to educate Americans about simple ways they can improve their cyber hygiene. The four main recommendations are using strong passwords, activating multi-factor authentication, recognizing and reporting phishing scams, and updating software to ensure all security patches and salutations have been installed. The agency has created a Secure Your Business webpage that focuses on corporate cybersecurity advice and a page dedicated to the tools geared towards small and medium-sized businesses. CISA and the National Cybersecurity Alliance joined forces to develop a partner toolkit complete with a PDF guide a sample email to spread the word to employees, and a Cybersecurity 101 presentation to educate staff and other stakeholders. 
As well, CISA will be offering a series of free webinars throughout the month. The President and Congress first declared October Cybersecurity Awareness Month in 2004, meaning this year marks its 20th anniversary. In honor of this milestone, the National Institute of Standards and Technology has shared a timeline summarizing the history of the agency's cybersecurity program. NIST will also be offering a blog series covering various topics of interest and hosting events throughout the month, including a Block Cipher Modes of Operation workshop, a social media challenge, and Cybersecurity Career Week. The first entry in this blog series addresses the first week's theme, enabling multi-factor authentication. So, it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Do you know where your multi-factor authentication is? Coming up after the break, Rob Boyce from Accenture Security talks about dark web threat actors targeting macOS. And as part of our sponsored Industry Voices segment, Michael Denning, CEO at SecureG for Blue Ventures, shares developments in Zero Trust. Stick around. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Mike Denning is CEO at SecureG, provider of cloud-native PKI for Zero Trust. In this sponsored Industry Voices segment, he shares his thoughts on Zero Trust machine identity, AI, and the current state of startup innovation and funding. I usually use an analogy that involves a mall. For people that are new to security or cybersecurity or want to understand that, when you grant permission previously, prior to Zero Trust, you would grant access to the mall. And in that mall, you'd be allowed to pretty much go to a Foot Locker or Macy's or the Apple Store or visit pretty much any store you want once you got through that initial door 
into the mall itself. The zero trust paradigm changes that. And what ends up happening now is you have to get, to get into the mall, you have to disclose your specific destination that you're intending to go. Let's say Foot Locker. You're allowed to go there and then you're allowed to come back. You're not allowed to visit any other stores on the way. So that zero trust uh, to me uh, at this most simple level is you're authenticated for a purpose. You're allowed to accomplish that purpose. And then you got to re-authenticate yourself if you plan to do anything else. That's a great analogy. Let's talk about machine identity when it comes to zero trust. What exactly do we need to know there? I think a lot with machine identity is just the volume and complexity. As the market evolves, as you're seeing new applications, the complexity of those applications that drive the command and control of machines is becoming much more ethereal. And those things dissipate, they move away, they maybe they exist in a period of time. So some of the bigger challenges we're seeing in the marketplace are around how do you authenticate, validate, attest to uh, things that maybe are turned up and turned down in a very short amount of time and, and virtualized environments and, and virtual networks even present kind of a unique challenge for zero trust. And where do we stand when it comes to the availability of, of some kind of standardized framework? Well, I think you look at how security, part of the, the work we're doing at my company is that um, we're looking very closely at how standards can be used and deployed across the, fo- the smallest possible form factor, whether that form factor is a chip or a singular device or even a virtualized Kubernetes um, cluster. The important part there is the ability to give an identity that might exist in a point of time, and you have the control to turn it up and turn it down in a really short amount of time. I think referencing public key infrastructure, it's a pretty well understood standard, but still very complicated to deploy And when you start adding the complexity of the speed with which you want to turn up and turn down virtualized environments, it becomes that much more complicated. So there's a lot of work going on today, particularly in the IETF and some of the other standards bodies to help companies understand how we're going to deal with kind of the emerging threat landscape when it moves from just compromising individuals to compromising the subsystems that make up the, the kind of unseen critical infrastructure that drives a lot of our everyday lives. Hmm. You know, Mike, I think it's fair to say that we're in this moment right now where certainly the public's imagination has been captured by artificial intelligence uh, and it's being talked about far and wide. What part do you think it has to play in the security marketplace here? I mean, is this, to what degree does this need to have our attention? I think, um, I think you'll see the evolution in of AI. It, it's not um, all the headlines. I think in AI today are the kind of the the generative language. I, I think inside of security, it's going to be slightly different. I, we've been working, um, you know, over the last twenty five years of my time in the security industry around identifying anomalous behavior, and so I do think that AI can play a critical role in helping to understand the nuances, and they're getting smaller and smaller as people tend to obfuscate 
their movements within networks, within systems, with permissions, AI will be able to help further refine where to look. AI will be able to help sharpen the systems and the inputs to say, hey, these, this is really anomalous behavior. This should focus your attention because it's always been for us in the security industry, the challenge of finding the needle in the haystack of needles, right? And so I really think AI will be helped to inspect things in a much more granular level and bring those to the top. You know, as an entrepreneur yourself, and, and as you mentioned, someone who's been in the industry for, for some time now, can we talk a little bit about the place of these innovative startups in the community here, the, the important role that they play? Yeah, I think we're doing that a lot. Um, I've only been the CEO of this company about 18 months. Before that, I was a partner at a, a cybersecurity-focused uh, early-stage, seed-stage, A-round venture investors. There's a lot, uh, I think, for for folks that have a good idea in this in the cybersecurity space, there's a lot of excitement and um, helping hands, if you will, that want to see us as entrepreneurs in the cybersecurity space succeed. And I think you see hubs of those, whether it's, uh, you know, I'm in the Washington, D.C. area, so you get a lot of public sector expertise fighting nation-state attacks. Um, but you see it across, you know, Silicon Valley and Boston and New York. I think these uh, the events like the one that our Blue is putting on um, later this month that's going to be, you know, we get a lot of people. There's just excitement, right? You want to see what's next. Those are the kind of things that are going to be really bringing entrepreneurs with uh, savvy tech investors with with the support system to do it, I think, is is what's required. I think the other challenge really right now is, is capital for investing in these early stage companies across the board is taking a pause, right? It's There's still a lot of opportunity for early stage startups, but I think you're seeing kind of check sizes are a little smaller. People want to see a little more traction for some of the most innovative companies. They want to see customer one. They used to be okay with an idea. Now they want to see customer one, two, or three signing off to that. So I think it's pretty interesting what's happening. It's causing entrepreneurs to get sharpen the pencils a little bit. I think we're starting to see more fractional work. Uh, we've kind of gone from quiet quitting to, you know, I think a lot of fractional talent. So whether it's software developers or finance professionals, uh, legal professionals have tend to always be in this fractional type role until the companies get bigger. But I think that's the thing that we're seeing is that, you know, having the right person, even 20% of their time is better than having 100% of the wrong person's time. So I think that's the other thing we're seeing that's kind of the post-COVID, you know, quiet quitting combined with the people are having to get smarter with and a little stingier with their deployment of capital. That's Mike Denning, CEO at SecureG. Thank you again to Michael Denning for joining us. He's appearing on behalf of the Blue Cyber Venture Forum. You can find details for the conference through the link in our show notes.
pleased to be joined once again by Robert Boyce. He is Managing Director and Global Lead for Cyber Resilience at Accenture. Uh, Rob, it's always great to have you back. I know you and your colleagues there at Accenture have been looking into some dark web threat actors that seem to be targeting macOS lately. What are you looking at here? Yeah, thanks, Dave. And it's, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, you know, this is really interesting. I mean, we, we've gone back to 2019 to start pulling some trends around um, threat actors targeting macOS. And we are seeing since 2019, a thousand times more activity uh, in the interest of finding uh, vulnerabilities or access or ways around the ways to bypass security features of macOS. Mm-hmm. And 2023 already has surpassed 2022, six months into the year. And so it is clear that this is becoming much more of a focus area um, for threat actors right now. You know, as a longtime uh, macOS user myself, I, I will uh, I will cop to a certain uh, smugness when it comes to feeling uh, as though the system that I've chosen is uh, you know comparatively secure to some of the other ones that are out there. Is that no longer justified? I think there's a lot of people have the same sentiment as you, including myself. Uh, yeah. I'm also a macOS user. And I think as of today, you know, I, I would still say that, of course, Mac is a more secure platform, but there's a lot of that that has been because of the lack of targeting by threat actors. Like, listen, Windows is, is, is all over the world, right? It is a number one operating system. It still is a number one operating system right now. So it's not surprising that threat actors have been targeting that with emphasis. And, and as we have seen, there is no shortage in security vulnerabilities that we continue to see through, through that operating system. I think what we're really saying now is we need to be uh, more mindful that that uh, concept of buy a Mac and be secure uh, is, is going to be a little less certain, right? Like we, we are absolutely seeing threat actors on the dark web advertise for wanting to buy either exploits that will bypass critical security features of Mac OS, such as gatekeeper uh, or uh, TCC, transparency consent controls, uh, and, the, and they're offering, uh, we've seen one offer for you know, $500,000 to be able to get an exploit or a bypass of macOS gatekeeper. We've seen other offers for up to a million dollars for a similar exploit available uh, on the platform. So we know that the demand now is, is there, which I think will follow the demand is going to be the very talented hackers uh, that will start to produce the content to meet this demand. And this is where we really haven't seen. The focus has just not been there in the past, but we are now seeing threat actors have a much higher focus on being successful in this space. How much of this is is a sense of, um, you know, the folks who tend to use Mac OS are being specifically targeted? In other words, is the value coming from the folks who are using these systems or is the value coming from the fact that these vulnerabilities are fewer and farther between, or is it a blend of both? Uh, you know, I, I, I remember reading a report a little while ago that estimated, I think, 23, this was in 2020, 23% of corporate devices are now running on macOS. And that was, that was two, three years ago. So I am sure it's more than 25% at this point. So you can start to see it. It's not, it's not just maybe targeting the people who are using them as much as it is now 
of, of consequence in an enterprise. And if we want to think about being able to cause maximum disruption or be able to obtain maximum foothold within an environment, we need to now consider macOS to be part of that enterprise solution. So I, I just think it's a shift over time of organizations adopting this technology that is now pushing threat actors to have a, more of a focus in that area. And so what are your recommendations here for organizations who have uh, macOS systems installed? Should they have a heightened sense of vigilance? I, I think people now need to start understanding that the, the you know, what we did think, as you said earlier, like what, what we thought before to be true where macOS was less targeted, impenetrable, uh, we should now reframe that thinking to think about, you know, our macOS systems to be similar to any other uh, IT system we have within our enterprise, and it needs to be protected the same. Organizations need to keep watch in this space, right? They need to make sure that they're up to speed on their threat intel that's coming in, or the, you know, if they have a dark web search team, that this is now part of their collection requirements to really continue to keep focus on what is happening in this space. Because I, I, I promise it's going to go from, we haven't seen this, to overnight we will see a significant impact and then because, you know, we're going to have very, very smart hackers creating this content, that knowledge will start trickling down to the next level. And then we will see more and more focus in this space, especially when people are offering half a million to a million dollars for a single exploit. Uh, and, we, and we have already started to see threat actors selling macOS exploitation capabilities already. So we, we know it's happening. Um, we've also um, seen... Uh, Lockbit 3.0 start to talk about creating ransomware uh, for uh, macOS systems in particular. Now we haven't seen it in the wild yet, but they have, you know, uh, agreed that they have confirmed that they are uh, developing and testing. So it will just be a matter of time, I think, until we start seeing uh, more exploitation in the macOS space. All right. Well, Rob Boyce is global lead for cyber resilience and managing director at Accenture. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's it for the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think about this podcast. You can email us at thecyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is me, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show is written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Trey Hester, filling in for Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.